Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Well, welcome back to another episode of Puzzling Company. It is your host, Zach, and always with me is... It's Jared. Hi, Jared. How are you doing? I am tired. It is late here when we are recording. That is true. We generally record in the afternoon. Uh, right now it is 8.15 p.m., so nice and cold and dark outside. Yes, life situations have forced us into becoming nocturnal recorders. Oh, you think I don't stay up till like 2 a.m. anyways? <laughs> I know. I'm the lame one that's in bed at like 9.30. Loser. <laughs> lame. Speaking of it being dark outside, we actually get to talk about amazing games on the show, and the one we get to talk about today is a game that has recently been able for people to review, but hopefully will be in your hands very soon, and that is going to be The Light in the Mist. Jared, we're going to talk way more about how we feel uh, in the next part, but I, I could say at least for me... And hopefully Jared feels the same. This was a blast to get to start with. It's quite phenomenal what they were able to accomplish in this game. Yeah. Well, if you want to hear more about what we actually think and go into detail about it, stick around for our next part. Jared, 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 Jared. I found this really cool box outside. Can we please, 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 can we open it? Are you out of your mind? Look what it says on the box. It literally reads root of all evil. There's no way we're opening this box. Oh, come on, Jared. What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that... Have you ever seen a horror movie? Listen, you don't split up your team. The basement is not a good hiding place. You don't give cute little creatures water. And above all, you don't open the mysterious and creepy box with the word evil on it. Please, Jared. No! But if you're listening and you have more guts than me, you should actually head over to crackinutmysteries.com and pick up a copy of Root of All Evil. Um, Jared, I think I need to tell you something. Wow, Jared does such a good job with these ads. Honestly, I think I do okay. You know, I, I'm kind of judgmental on myself, but, you know, I'm also very cool, so it's whatever. Uh, but welcome back. Uh, this is in the first section. This is kind of the part of the episode where we discuss things that we like about the games that we cover on that episode, as well as things that could have room for improvement. Now, this is not a, a thing for us to dog about games or to be like, oh, this game sucks. But it's it's a good spot for us and for other people to kind of hear about how we felt playing the game, things that we really enjoyed, but also giving good criticism that can help fix or make games better for the future. Absolutely. It's, it's our philosophy. There is no perfect game. There probably will never be. And if it's perfect to us, it probably isn't perfect to somebody else. Yeah. So, uh, you care if I tell you a little bit in our audience about this game, Zach? No, tell me about it. Very unique game. If you don't know anything about this, it takes place over the course of a tarot deck. And you also have a booklet that goes with it. And that booklet is your primary story element. But I could probably spend the next 20 minutes describing the format of this game. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it. But it is a super unique format. It is a super unique story. And Zach, I think that's where you're going to kick us off is one of the things that we really loved was the narrative and how it was expressed. Yeah, completely. The The narrative was definitely one of the biggest likes of this game. 
it was presented very well and then just kind of goes with the format. But one of the things that I found really unique about it was that it gave a very detailed and emotional story, but it also played kind of like a choose your own adventure. There are times where you get to do a puzzle and it potentially gives you two answers. And then depending on what those answers are, you get to pick what you want. You're like, mm. okay, it's almost like in a choose your own adventure being like, oh, I want to go down the left road or the right road. But in this one, it's which word do you almost feel like you relate with more and see how it unfolds. And then as you know, you could probably go back and look at it, but playing through it once and just doing it the way you want kind of gives you this cool first time through. And then you can look back and see what other options there were or play it again. Yeah, absolutely. And see what you get the next time. And take a different road. But the but the narrative was just so unique because it presented a story that I think people can be very familiar with. And it, it almost is very personal. And you can very much tell that the creators, when they made it, put a lot of themselves into it. It felt that way. It, it's very clearly like a, it's almost like a, like a piece of art that two people thought of and just put it together. Mm, you know, like it, it's like I said, at the end of the game, one of the most interesting things is Jared asked me how I felt about it. And most games, when we have a narrative, we, we do talk about the narrative or we question what happened. But this was the first game that we both kind of looked at each other and we discussed how we felt. And I don't want to dive too much into those feelings just yet. Sure. Yeah. I want to save them. Uh, for our middle section. But I, I, one thing that I really loved is how the gameplay tied in with the narrative. And this yeah. kind of moves us into our second thing. What was really unique about this game is it is a very, very non-linear game. Yes. And that is encouraged. Mm-hmm. And what happens and kind of the format of how this game works is you pick a tarot card, you solve it, mm-hmm. and then as a result, you are led to a piece of the narrative. And thinking about how to best describe how this works is imagine shattering a mirror. Mm -hmm. And then every time you solve a puzzle, you're allowed to look at one of the specks of that mirror to catch a glimmer of the bigger picture. And there's no wrong way to go about that. The story that Zach and I experienced is the same story that you're going to experience. But statistically, you're probably going to experience that and they have the, the story move in a different way than we did. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. Because this game is about experiences and the uniqueness of those sometimes and what that all means. And the way that they concocted this game with the tarot cards, with the, the narrative style was just popping. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. What, what else within the gameplay, Zach, did you really like? There is a lot of things that I liked about the gameplay. I think one of the most interesting or unique parts that made me have a a wow moment near the end is how they intricately wove all of the cards to work with each other. It's it's unbelievable. Correct. Now, I don't want to spoil anything, but there are cards that are used for multiple puzzles, and they kind of explain in the game how that works. But to really think about the logistics of having this card work with this puzzle, but then these puzzles required this card and this card has to match with that. But then the artwork has to match both of them and have elements that would make sense. That doesn't feel out of place. And in terms of what is being presented, it was just awestruck. Like I was was struck. It was crazy. Yeah. It was like a beautiful logistical art piece. Yes. That flowed and kind of talking about the third thing that we loved is this game just came together. The fusion of, puzzle and narrative and format just ridiculously well like stupid good like 
I, it just kind of gives me goosebumps talking about it because this game just works. It works on so many different levels. And I'm sitting here looking at the box and it's one of the smallest games by square inches that it's sitting in. And it's just like, wow, like just wow. Like this game is coming out on Kickstarter and I think you'd be silly not to back this. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's that good. This game is minimum five hours of your time. It is long. The value is here. Yep. And one of the things that really hit me after Zach and I played with is this game, like we mentioned, it is nonlinear. And generally, given nonlinear options, Zach and I will divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even a thought. Yeah, that is pretty crazy to think about. In, in this game, because Zach and I tend to be a little more, if you spectrumize how you play games, we like to go for faster times. Mm-hmm. If there's a competitive element, that's usually, we'll, we'll run with that a little bit. But there wasn't a chance at all that we were leaving the card that we were working on together. Yeah. And we moved slowly and we moved steadily and that paid off greatly. Yeah. Because this game is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. It just, I, I, I wish I had a four five and six that we could talk about more about this game, but it is truly, in my opinion, kind of in a league of its own. There's mm-hmm. nothing else really like this game for a number of different reasons. And you can just feel the time and intentionality that was put into this game. And I think this will continue to be a special game. And maybe even as we're going to talk about in the middle section, a groundbreaking game within the games that we talk about. Mm -hmm. All of that to say, let's talk about where we feel like there's some room for improvement. If any, Zach, if you had to, to give any uh, positive criticism about this game, what would you say? I think literally the only thing that we ran into was the final puzzle. Now, I'm not going to spoil it or really give too much detail about how the final puzzle works. I think narratively... It was genius. And thematically, it is genius. However, I think in terms of what we were expecting, and this is on us, right? This is a, At the end of the day, these are all personal opinions. I think we were just... It was a type of puzzle that we weren't ex- really expecting to do, and then you really couldn't you couldn't skip it and it felt it was kind of like a not a process puzzle because like i said i don't want to spoil what it is it was a puzzle that really only feels like one person could work on it yeah it, it for a game that we felt surprisingly how much we played cooperatively through it not saying that we would have split up but like generally we do in games where we know there's more objectives or we could do them at our own pace but it it felt like we went from being like a puzzle where we were working together the entire time to a puzzle where it had an element of really one person does and the other person just watches. Yeah. And that was interesting for me because I agree. I felt mutually involved the entire way through. And then we got to the last puzzle and the last puzzle makes sense. Oh, it's, it's great. It, it's a great puzzle. Like narratively mm-hmm. what they did with the puzzle was like I said, like a stroke of genius. In also my the opinion. setup for that puzzle. Yeah. The setup, this, yeah. ugh, so good. But I don't know. I just wish there could have, I I want my cake and I want to eat it too. And I just wish it it would have followed the previous format to where I felt like we could have both been working on it at the same time. Mm. If that makes sense. Like that would have been like the crowning achievement, like the big jewel on the crown of this amazing game. But I did feel like that was a little bit of a miss because it works brilliantly creatively and narratively, but gameplay is why it felt like, a bottleneck and that sounds a little odd because well 
the end of games are often bottlenecks. They've got to end. They've got to come yeah. to a conclusion. But just after so much highness from the rest of it, I struggled a little bit with what the final puzzle was in terms of level of involvement. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because I, I like I personally don't feel as much the same, but I was also the person who did the final puzzle. So yes. <laughs> it is intriguing here in the like, you know, like when Jared, when we talk about these room for improvements, it's always fun to hear both our opinions because sometimes we disagree on it. But it but it is a valid point in terms of like for me, it was great and I got to do it, but like I clearly saw that Jared wanted to be more involved than he possibly could in that, in yeah. that puzzle. Yeah. The honestly, we don't have any other critiques for this game, but I do no. want to actually mention a couple of recommendations that we have for this game. Yeah. And one of these is Zach and I would highly encourage you not to play this game in one sitting. <laughs> this this was recommended to us. We technically did this game in two sittings, but probably 95% of it. In we did every, we did everything up to the final puzzle. And then we had unfortunately had to split up after right. five hours of playing. Yes. And then we came back and did the final puzzle. And then we like came the back. Next day. The, and I want to be clear that was recommended to us by the creators. It says that in the game and coming from people who honestly, just because of time constraints needed to play more of it than we wanted to in one setting, mm -hmm. we would recommend not following that pathway and really taking your time with this game and really just soaking. There's so much to soak in mm -hmm. in this game. Uh, it, it is really just beautifully, beautifully, beautifully done, but we did want to throw that out there. The other thing is we wanted to talk a little bit about who is this game for? Zach, would you say that this is a new player friendly game. How would you rank this in terms of at what time it's best to pick up and play this game? This was actually interesting to discuss when we first brought it up. I think there are puzzles and aspects of this game that are actually okay to new players in terms of like some of the puzzles weren't crazy and that the narrative was pretty simple to follow. Not in terms of that it wasn't a good, but like because there's the, the booklet and stuff like that, you kind of can follow along and you can keep reading through and find like the hints and stuff and the messages and whatever you're looking for. But it it's definitely not a game made for new players. I would say it, it definitely is a, you need people who probably have played this, played games like this before or any like at home style puzzle game. I will say if you want to bring someone who's new into it, I think this is a great game for like two people who are experienced and two people who are not or however you want to intermingle that in. But I think this is a fun game to introduce someone in when you play with them. Yes. Because you could help them do the harder puzzles and get them through it. And they would have the fun part of getting to interact because there's a lot of puzzles where you do have room for people to play along with and mess with it. But then also let them get to kind of solve these puzzles and get the big picture. Yes. It was. Yeah, I definitely think that's the way to put it. I think that's a great way of putting it is this game is designed to where you can play it however you want. It very explicitly says like. Hey, if you don't want to do the puzzles and you just want to read the story, great, do that. Yeah. If you don't want to read the story and just do the puzzles, great, do that. Honestly, my personal opinion is it would be a disservice to miss out on either because they are both equally awesome. Yep. There's hard puzzles, there's easier puzzles, there's longer puzzles, there's shorter puzzles. I don't think we shouted enough, shouted out enough how great the puzzles are in this game because there's some in here that I'm just like, that was dope. That yeah, there was, were some really good ones. But yeah, I, I think it's, um, if you take it collectively, it's probably around an intermediate difficulty if you had to take the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great idea. I think especially given the 
topic of this game, I'll say, yeah, it might be a really great game to play together. Yeah. Yeah. That's really going to wrap us up. I don't think we can talk. I'll say we shouldn't talk more for the sake of time. Oh, I could talk for hours. About, about how great this game is. But like we mentioned, this game is coming to Kickstarter soon. And you should definitely, definitely, definitely pick this up. This is a game that you're going to get your time, your money, and maybe even some conversations out of. Mm -hmm. So hang around with us. we got Puzzles to the People coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Zach, you never responded to my email about the rally next week. The rally? Yeah, dude, they're trying to tear down the old tree off of Maine. That's a bat-coon habitat. I think you mean raccoon. <laughs> Zach, next thing you know, you'll be calling swargators alligators. Swargators? Bat-coons? Jared, what are you talking about? Dude, everyone knows that the American Society for the Protection of Magical Creatures spends countless hours trying to preserve the habitat of these magical and magnificent creatures. Do you want your kids growing up in a world where there's no lobguins? Do I? Well, that's a fair question. Lobguins are actually very temperamental creatures, but sometimes I can do without them. But what everyone should do is head over to theaspmc.org. That's T-H-E-A-S-P-M-C.org and sign up to help their investigations. Only you can prevent the extinction of these magical creatures. Well, welcome back, everybody. We are in a section now called Puzzle to the People, and we do a lot of different things in this section we talk about game theory sometimes, we read reviews. The point of this is to really just talk about things within the game that really relate bigger to the game culture. We bring in people's opinions. Often I'm asking a crazy question. Today we're going to talk about something that I don't even think we've had the ability to talk about on any other game. And I want to say that this is a non-spoilery thing. We're not going to tell you any specifics, but we are going to mention the general tone of what is going on in this game. And if you don't want to hear anything about that, if you want that to be a surprise, then maybe tune out. And I don't think we've ever said that before on the podcast. But what I really want to talk about with you in this section, Zach, is game narratives that do not follow a traditional model for what we're used to playing and really hit you with some type of emotional resonance. Can you, in all of the games that we have played thus far, pick out stories that have impacted you emotionally? It's kind of hard. There's a lot of games that I think that try to, or they have like definitely hint at it. Um, I will say Runes of Odin is one. I would agree with that. Runes of Odin is definitely the one game that I've ran into that, definitely hit that emotional mark. I think some elements in like some of the other narrative based games are more narrative styles. So like Root of All Evil has like the journal yes. kind of has that feeling of it in it in the messenger, the videos and the extra online elements in that game definitely help try to feed that emotional or understanding of what's going on. Yes. But most games have not made me super emotional. They're very much like a, they make me feel it for like a second or understand what's going on and then it, it's done. There's no like, further sure exploration and i guess it's i guess let's further define emotional because right in a lot of games you're scared or you're excited yeah. or you're but this game was some of that but the deeper narrative here is a is a different type of story how would you categorize what is happening like if you had to say this is a 
a comedy or a drama or a coming of age story or like what what is light in the mist i think it kind of is a coming of age it's hard it, this game covers a lot of your emotions it actually has a this isn't a spoiler this is in the booklet when you read it does have a trigger warning um to explain some of the stuff that goes into it kind of has like a it has elements of like depression and um kind of darker feelings and regret and like I'd say it has almost like a gloomy feel. It, it, mm. It's like upset almost. There's there's elements that are great in terms of like uplifting, definitely. But it, it's a game to make you really think. And especially about how you feel and then how you know others are feeling or what they're going through. Absolutely. Like, like we said in the first section, this was the first time after a game. My first question to Zach was, how did that make you feel? Not what did you think about the story and the puzzles? Like there is a weight and maybe that's the best way to describe this. There is yeah. a emotional weight that comes with the story that's being told in here that I personally feel like we haven't seen in a lot of other games. Would you agree with that? I agree. Especially to this. Like I said, I think games explore it to a, or don't explore it enough, put it in their game themes or narratives. It doesn't really make sense to go way too far into it. And the other part is that this game was made for a longer time period and lets you explore that more. Yeah. I think, you know, some of the other games I felt that were like it. So like runes of like runes of Odin or root of all evil or games like that is that those are games also that have a longer time for you to play and let you experience it more. But unfortunately one hour games don't get to hit that mark as much if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. What is your opinion on more games like this? Because I think there is an argument to be made, and it's incredibly valid for some people. We don't pick up games to play these type of narratives. Like, oftentimes we're playing games to escape these type of narratives in our own life. So how did it make you feel to play a game that maybe got you in touch with maybe some of your personal demons. I like it. I think sometimes you do other things to get too far away from it. And so when a game kind of brings you back and makes you realize that one, it's a real feeling, but also that someone else feels it. It feels really nice because I think sometimes we get isolated or we feel alone when we feel certain ways about, any type of feeling, but specifically more like darker feelings. And this game kind of explores that to a degree. It it felt nice that, that uh, like someone else could explain it. I think that's one of the things I felt was really cool about the light in the mist was when we discussed it, we were trying to figure out what the mist was. And I don't want to spoil much of the story, but it, the journal and stuff or the the booklet goes into good detail about kind of explaining what the basis of the light in the mist and the starting narrative is. Yes. But like the mist itself is a very cool, almost living character or thing in the, in the narrative and how it explains and how like you can interpret it. Like for me, like how they characterized or made the mist living was really personal. Like it, it was something that it, like when we discussed what I thought it felt like to me, it felt like depression, how y- you can get lost in it. Yeah. And how sometimes in, in the story there's the, the mist also has a voice that kind of dogs on you and makes you feel down. And it, it felt 
like playing it made me get emotional because it it was like someone explained it like to me like sometimes when you talk about depression to other people they don't get it or someone else talks about it or you hear someone say it but you're like that doesn't feel like it to me yeah you explain to someone else and they're like i don't get why you feel that way yeah this was like the perfect way of just knowing like this person gets it like this is how i felt you know like i've gone through my own depression in my life and i'm gonna be honest about it and it was really it was really nice to see it and i i think that's what i love about these games is that it it almost lets you bring up that conversation of something that you can explain to someone else or start that conversation that you need to have with someone else yeah that's good it, beautiful allegory. Like, I think that's something that we haven't seen a whole lot of in the other game is this metaphorical representation about something that's bigger going on in the world. Yeah. And my my personal opinion is I think this game is groundbreaking in that fashion. It's not the first game. There's plenty of video games out there that over the past decade have really tackled into some similar things. But for our type of puzzle world or as this game says it's a a tarot puzzle tale this was a giant risk in my opinion that paid off in huge dividends Mm -hmm. like i i want to not exclusively but i i want to see more games that are tackling wisely tackling difficult topics yeah and i think it's also a really one of the things this narrative does really well emotionally is the i don't i'm trying not to spoil as much as possible but it does explore you being a character who knows someone who's lost. And Mm. like you said, you brought up earlier in the show, the broken mirror and how you think, you know, someone or what they've gone through when really sometimes you don't have any idea or they might tell you, but you don't know the, the, the extends or how they feel or what they said. So when you, when you get to watch it unfold, you're like, okay, like I didn't know this person felt this way, you know, but then, Oh, they're going through this. And why they not tell me? You know, it, it, it makes you, it, it just feels nice. It, it, not in terms of like, I know what you did, but it, it's opening. It feels yeah. like I actually see the real person and what they've gone through and, and can accept that, but also accept that I'm not them and I can't help them and everything, but I can be there for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're hearing us and you're listening, like, what are you guys talking? Like, this is nowhere near what you guys usually talk about. This game brought out things that we weren't prepared for. Yeah, I'm usually emotional. I'm emotionless. Yeah, <laughs> Zach's, I've never, Zach's I've never usually our puzzling robot. <laughs> and uh, now robot has feelings. Yes. Yes. But on the real, it was just like this game, it just it, it, it has the potential to evoke feelings and and hopefully evoke conversations yeah. that the people around you. I felt this game resonate in me because just of the quarantine of COVID. Like, and I think a lot of people will resonate with that in that fashion. It's like, where in the world and how in the world are we going to get out of this? COVID to me, especially recently, if you've listened to any of our um, previous episodes, is my family has been deeply impacted by this. I've lost a stepdad to COVID. I've lost a grandpa to COVID. And most recently... Um, my wife caught it and was one step away from being in the hospital with pneumonia in both of her lungs. And it just felt very, very oppressive. Yeah. And for me, that's what was going through my head is like, where, where, where is the light sometimes, you know? Yeah. And I think um, I don't want to ruin any of the things, but it, it just felt good to have this game open up those conversations. 
Yeah. Um, and, and to play this game, I, I would definitely recommend playing this game with someone. I don't think this is a game I would say play by yourself. Uh, it'd also be very difficult. It'd be very hard, but, but it, I think the, the conversations as well as the experiences you get to have with the other person in these, in this game is yeah. definitely very rewarding. Yeah. And, and so I, and I think part of that is just to say like, thank you to, yeah. to Jack and Rita for taking a, a risk in putting this out there and, maybe treading on a path that not many others in this world that we cover have tread on before. Zach, some of the games that you and I have played outside of this realm that it made me feel like, and I, I these are deep compliments if you've ever played any of these games, but uh, Firewatch. Yeah. I did not know what I was getting into. If you've ever played the video game Firewatch, it is it, it hits you. Yep. And I felt hit by this game in the best possible way. If you've ever played uh, What Remains of Edith Finch. Yep. That's the game that reminds me of. Yeah. Uh, There's another great newer game out that's called The Gardens Between. Mm. And um, I felt like it was all of the best parts of those video games put into exactly what it says on the front, a a tarot puzzle tale. And it was enjoyable in the best way, but it wasn't fun. And and I think that's the biggest difference that I want to say is like, if, if you're okay with some melancholy with some reality fused into your games, you will enjoy this game. But I did not leave this game saying that was fun and that's okay. Yeah. I want to play more games where I leave enjoying it, but I can say like it impacted me a different way. And this game did. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for our middle section today. Again, just want to reiterate this game is coming to Kickstarter I just think this game is so worth picking up. <laughs> I don't even know what the pricing is going to be. Oh, I have no clue there. We always throw out the meme in the PPGM group of take my money or what, what, it, what does it always say? It's the Futurama meme. Yeah, it's take my money. Take my money. Shut up and take my money. Shut up and take my money. That is this game. And uh, I just want to say thank you again to Jack and Rita for the opportunity. It was very meaningful and impactful. Yes, thank you very much. Well, that's going to wrap us up for Puzzles to the People. Questions for Creator coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Dude, I played the best game last night. Um, Jared, I thought we played all our games together. Well, well, traditionally we do, but this game was designed to be played by yourself. It's called Box One, and it's a new game from Neil Patrick Harrison Theory 11. I'm hurt. What am I supposed to just believe that there's clearly this made up story of a game that's meant for only one person and you couldn't even come up with something more clever than just box one. Okay, you know what? I'm done. Call me when there's a box two. Well, if you're not salty and you're looking for a truly awesome single player experience, head to your local target to pick up box one. If you don't have or know what target is, beg Angela Lawson Scott to ship you a copy internationally. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. This is our third section, which is questions for creators. We've kind of already said their names once or twice, but I'm gonna try. I'm gonna keep it as much of a secret as much as possible. <laughs> Just ignore everything we've said so far about their names. Yes, uh, but these are two very amazing people um, that we were able to talk to and kind of explain the light in the mist as well as their involvement. So we're gonna let them introduce themselves, but uh, we're gonna jump into the questions. Tell us who you are and how you came to work together on this game. 
I'm Rita Orlov. I'm an artist, designer, and creator of Post Curious. And I'm Jack Fellows. I'm the creator of Cryptogram Puzzle Post, and I'm an artist living in the UK. We met in Amsterdam at Up the Game Festival. Um, we had already become aware of each other because of our similar business puzzle name uh, online. So we'd kind of chatted a little bit there, then met in person and got talking a bit more swapped games and uh eventually rita approached me with this idea for the light in the mist although it wasn't called that at the time and yeah we've just kind of been developing that ever since really the untitled tarot project is what mm. it was called for a long time <laughs> yeah tarot game <laughs> so for those of you that don't know this game was built across an ocean and during a pandemic. So tell us how those dynamics work of building a game apart during a very difficult time. Yeah, it was interesting to work together with the time difference because normally by the time I'm up and working, Jack's usually finishing up for the day. And by the time Jack gets up and working, I'm usually going to sleep. So there was a lot of uh texts at weird hours, um, a lot of brainstorming Zoom sessions, especially in the beginning of the process. And yeah, we've basically been kind of working around the clock on this for many months. But yeah, we do share some skill sets, so I can kind of delineate what we ended up doing. So I did all the puzzle design for the game, and that was pretty much the first thing that was done. And so I created a full draft of all of the cards with basically just the puzzle elements, so sort of the minimum viable, solvable draft. And we worked on the story together, so we pretty much ended up writing about 50-50 and edited each other's passages to make sure everything was consistent and, you know, obviously weighed in together on what the scenes were going to be. And after I playtested the puzzles a little bit and we knew that they worked, Jack started making sketches of the whole deck, and I basically just kept playtesting along as that process went on. And as we went forward, uh, Jack started doing the inking. Uh, once we knew that the cards worked with the sketches, then I did all the flat colors for the inked cards. So basically laid down the groundwork colors. And then Jack would do shading and detailing work. And then I would take that and format it into the actual card. So basically put on the frame and add the symbols and the text and save the finished cards and play test those, print the prototypes and all that. Yeah. So we definitely went back and forth a lot. Yeah, there was definitely like a relay kind of situation going. And I think at certain points in the project, like the time difference almost worked to our advantage because of that. It's like I'd get it to a certain stage, pass it over, and then pass it back. So like at any hour of the day, <laughs> some kind of progress is being made on the game. But then also, yeah, just that writing process alone felt really like down the middle. And then to have like Rita be kind of solely responsible for the puzzle elements and then, you know, me being like mostly responsible for the design stuff aside from obviously the, the flat colors that Rita laid down um, did feel just like, 
you know, this is like <laughs> an almost 50-50 collaboration as much as it could be, really. Um, but then obviously, like, we're ramping up now to the Kickstarter and stuff. So there's going to be like a bunch of other things going on. And uh, Rita, having already kind of ran a successful Kickstarter, has definitely taken the lead on that front as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just been like kind of cool. And I guess like also Rita kind of have an editorial position in all of this, being like the publisher technically is like yeah it's just kind of been cool having the uh an extra perspective on the kinds of things that i'm doing anyway with cryptogram in terms of like finding a visually interesting way to represent a puzzle mechanic or whatever and then kicking that over to somebody who is coming at it from a slightly different place and then is also taking it off and having it play tested and getting that kind of feedback as well which is usually something i just don't <laughs> don't have time to do which sounds terrible but um you know uh, it's just been really cool to kind of get it back and then having to like rethink, you know, my resting on my laurels like I sometimes do. Yeah, I think we got into a really good flow, especially after the first few, once we figured out what would be the best way for us to work together most efficiently. And also make the pandemic kind of work for us as well in that way. It's like this is the kind of project where we just had to go whole hog at almost every step, you know, like the writing and redrafting all the text was like this constant thing. And it was, you know, you build up to this finish line. And right now it's like, we're really close to having all of the um, card art finished. Um, but yeah, it's just like, I guess if loads of things had been happening in the world during all of that, I would have been sat around getting FOMO and <laughs> or I probably would have been going to like conventions and meeting other people and then like other projects popping up and other. And I just think it's like almost fortuitous that we've had as much just kind of isolated time to, you know, talk and work about uh, work on it because it's really like needed a lot of uh, attention to detail and a lot of uh, finessing to kind of get it to where we wanted it to be. So after working on Light in the Mists, you know, having two different people come together to work on a game, would you recommend other people do this? Would you like to see more of this? Mm. Collaboration for me is just like part and parcel of just making things. Like I think if you don't, whatever field you're working in, if you're not making space to collaborate or at least, you know, bounce your work off other people in a, in a kind of community driven way and kind of getting that feedback then it's really difficult to kind of push out of your comfort zone and I don't think you're gonna surprise yourself as often if you're just kind of you know again leaning into like what you already enjoy and and yeah and I think also having two people means you can kind of like almost egg each other on and kind of uh you know push for something more ambitious than you maybe would on your own um and and again just like having certain skills that overlap and then also having these other skills outside of that just means our collective arsenal of skills is just way bigger um but yeah i think it's like everybody should just collaborate all the time <laughs> i think it's great <laughs> yeah i think that what we've managed to create is definitely bigger than the sum of its parts and it's not something that either of us would have been able to do on our own and even with the narrative like we're always going over every piece of it and kind of trying to strengthen it from both sides and you know I I definitely would have never been able to illustrate it as beautifully as Jack did but with having so much work 
on the art. Uh, I think it was beneficial to have me kind of take the reins on the puzzle side and do all the playtesting because all of that is really time consuming. So I think such an ambitious project for one person would have taken much longer than it took us. And it took us even quite a bit of time uh, to complete it. Uh, but we did have like a sort of mini test run before we did this. So it's like, this was a big project to get into collaborating with somebody. So I would definitely be hesitant to do that with someone who I didn't know. And not that we knew each other so well, but I think we kind of hit it off right away. And Jack did a postcard illustration for one of the puzzles in the apprentice pack for the Emerald Flame. So we established a little bit of groundwork that like, yes, we can work together and, you know, discussed a lot of things about the project and what we would want to create and what we would want to get out of it that, you know, made sure that we were really on the same page, both as far as what we wanted to make and what our roles would be in the project, which I think is also important to delineate kind of closer to the beginning because you don't want to be hit with any surprises down the road if you're expected to be doing something that you didn't think you were going to be doing. So one thing that we realize is this is not a traditional narrative in the puzzle world. How did you land on telling the story and the format for the story itself? Yeah, I think the form has so much to do with it. I think like really early on, you know, I've I've kind of mentioned this before when I've talked when we've been talking about the project so far, is that a lot of people uh came to me to be like, you should make a tarot deck, right? Because like your art would suit that kind of thing. And while I agree, it's like drawing 78 cards isn't just something that you decide to do one day and it takes up a lot of time. And and so I needed something to get me interested enough to kind of stay there. And I think the point at which we kind of landed on this idea that we would have a tarot deck that told a story and was also a puzzle game, but could also be each of those three things separately, like enjoyed separately if you want, although not intended to, but this kind of modularity to it and that being the kind of core creative challenge. I think so much of that ends up dictating the like approach you take to writing and the approach you take to, you know, the puzzle design and stuff so that it really kind of informs that writing process and, and then writing, like we said, it was such a like back and forth of just not even just uh, structural stuff and deciding on events and deciding how, you know, passages were going to represent the subtly represent the tarot meanings while also pushing the characters forward and, um, and being kind of vignettes that can be enjoyed in a, in a non-linear way um, or that can be stacked in, you know, chronological order and, yeah, and just having that document open and just being like, okay, I'm going to write this thing because it feels right to the scene. And the more you write, the more real the characters become. And then the more, like, each of us has a perspective on it where you can look at the passage the other one has written and be like, I know that this could be improved if we, you know, delete two words here and and change the, you know, this one word here and... um and yeah, and it just kind of suddenly becoming so vividly real. And like, we had way more narrative text than we are going to use in the game. Like the stuff that got deleted, got edited way down, or just got lost completely. You know, there are scenes 
that were written like early on in the process of this that I still remember and are still like part of the story of these characters now and like I can't <laughs> unlearn that as part of their life even though they're not represented in the game and I think like it's so weird to have you know characters like that where it's you're not using the characters as a vehicle to deliver plot points but rather like you are using the game to triangulate who the characters are and what they're about and you know what ultimately kind of occurred in in their lives so yeah i just think like the form has has so much to do with it and is so like central to how the story is told and is really kind of the point as far as i'm concerned like from an artistic perspective like that's like bottom line the thing i'm most excited about with this game is that you know fusion of all of these three elements and like what happens when they're all firing like all cylinders are firing at the same time bit of a rant there sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was gonna say that the um from the very beginning it was pretty important to me that the game would be non-linear especially because there were so many puzzles and it seemed kind of crazy to me to design 22 puzzles that you would have to be playing them in an exact order. Uh, but also I'm a big fan of non-linearity in general in games. So that was something I really wanted to implement in this game. And having these sort of vignettes of the story is what really fit in with that style of gameplay so that you would be able to experience the story in a non-linear way. And even if you play the cards in a linear way, you're still going to experience the story in a non-linear way. And I think the beauty of that is also that every group is going to experience the story slightly differently. So depending on what order you choose to play the cards, you're going to see certain scenes earlier or later, and that's going to impact the way that you experience the story. And I think because it is such an intimate story, it's kind of nice that everybody will have their own way of experiencing it. And I think we, you know, we wanted to go for something less traditional than a lot of the stories we see in escape room or mystery games. And especially in the pandemic, when we're all very isolated, it was even more important to create something that had a bit more of a personal feel and exploring kind of the empathy and understanding that you can gain for another person when you find out more about them. And so the whole story is kind of about character discovery rather than a a broader narrative where you have to kind of accomplish a big task. And so the, the stakes in a way are not so big, but because everything is so granular, I think it makes for something more relatable. Yeah, and that kind of um, that kind of intimacy and relatability and non-linear stuff is also part and parcel as well of like tarot cards and reading the tarot and divination, and so that's like a, obviously a very deliberate way to kind of play into this idea. You're holding a tarot deck, you're pulling out cards, you know, you're about to go on some kind of like some kind of discovery is about to happen basically and that and the significance of that I guess is up for interpretation you know and so yeah I guess the challenge really is like how do you then transpose that into this 
weird thing that we've created but i feel like eventually you know <laughs> with lots of like push and shove and back and forth like we've really kind of landed on something that i think does achieve those goals um and yeah it's just like exciting it's exciting that it's gonna launch like r- really soon <laughs> the story felt very personal are elements of the story real to either of you yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we both kind of melded certain aspects of our lives and our experience into the characters. And I want to say that mine was probably more embedded into Sam's, which is the friend that you're searching for in the experience. And well, maybe I'll let Jack answer <laughs> also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess it's important to acknowledge that there's like details in there that are very significant and obviously personal um and while i think each of us have a sprinkling of that like literal stuff in the story that resonates with us there's also just like so much of it that is allegorical and and metaphorical obviously and we kind of hope that the you know reading the experience of a life lived <laughs> will be a relatable human thing right and so i think by getting closer to writing real people who we believe you know by way of kind of projecting our experiences onto them and and using that as a guide when writing uh the more kind of three-dimensional they become the more there's like flesh on their bones and the more like i guess the easier it becomes to just read those characters, understand who they are, and then whoever you may be, you know, you pick out the aspects of that person. I guess, like, from a writing perspective, having um, experiences from our own lives to draw on to, like, make inferences about how those characters would behave and feel in certain situations means we could then place them in any situation that the game required or the narrative required, Um and feel confident that we kind of knew who they were and knew like what they would do in that situation. Um, so it's definitely, it's like the rudder, I guess, for writing, you know, it's like having these, these experiences, having this perspective and, um, and yeah, using that to kind of inform our writing choices. But then, like I say, it's at a certain stage, I think the characters and the writing process and the world almost tell you what, what they need to do you know um yeah (laughs) that's the that's the roundabout abstract point i'm trying to make so why did you decide to specifically make the medium of this game tarot cards yeah why rita uh it was something that i was thinking about for a long time is well i was thinking about creating maybe a game in a card deck but the tarot had just was so much more alluring because it's ripe with symbolism. There's so much meaning to it. And it just, there was so much inspiration to derive from it for both the puzzles and the story. And traditionally, well, originally the tarot cards were really used as playing cards. And these days they're more sort of used as a, tool of divination but more like a way to kind of interpret and guide yourself on your life rather than like telling the future per se um so this kind of combines the aspect of navigating one's life but also 
as a game. And I think it sort of combines those aspects and they're echoed throughout the gameplay and throughout the story. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, really kind of the crux of it. Because likewise, I mean, when I'm doing stuff with Cryptogram, like that's the similar wheelhouse that I'm drawing from, you know, it's like witchcraft and divination. And obviously all of this is to do with kind of being secret and arcane and having hidden symbolism. And, you know, it's, it's kind of very like (laughs) uh, fertile ground for creating puzzles um, from or embedding puzzles in as well as just being this kind of rich history that you can draw from so the tarot is certainly part of that and certainly um, a world kind of unto itself and I think it's important when you set out on a project to feel like you're gonna also learn something so while you know I have like several tarot decks and I've used them for divination and stuff like I'm not a tarot expert by any stretch of the imagination although definitely know a lot more about it now having completed a tarot game you know so I think um even just having it be something that we're mutually interested in as a thing out in the world is like you know a key component to all of this as well yeah just a shared interest and a shared well of information to kind of draw from um to help those creative decision making processes because like in cryptogram you know if if i am ever sat there and getting like blank page anxiety and stuff immediately there's like this big history to kind of go and look at and more things to find out and always something new to kind of push you outside of your um you know same old tired ideas kind of thing i also honestly just thought it would be really fun to work with and it was a really interesting design challenge to make an interesting game out of just a deck of cards that also worked as a practical object and as sort of an art piece. And, you know, when I'm used to working with games where I can make all sorts of props, this kind of created a constraint that I think, you know, ultimately made the game stronger because I was trying to use the medium as a way to inspire the puzzles but it felt like it was going to be an interesting challenge we talked about it on our show but we're very excited for this game to come out so could you give us some details about the kickstarter like when it's going to come up kind of details of what people can do so on and so forth so the kickstarter is going to be launching on september 21st and we should i think we're going to be live by the time this episode goes up. So maybe instead I will say the Kickstarter is live right now. So you can go check out the page and every Friday, we're also going to be posting puzzles online so you can solve those. And if you enter your solutions, you will be entered to win an original ink drawing by Jack of one of the cards in the game. So that's a good reason to try and solve them other than just Solving things is fun. Uh, But all the other days, we're also going to be revealing cards from the deck along with the meaning of the cards. So if you want to learn a little bit more about tarot or just see more of the artwork, uh, you can follow our campaign. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever your preferred social media platform is. Um, And also just come on and come be free to ask us questions. We're happy to talk about the project and happy to answer any curiosities that you might have. 
Rita and Jack, we just want to say thank you guys so much for coming on, for allowing us the opportunity to sing praises about this game and honestly just killer job. Yes. Really, really, really great game. Thank you, thank you. Uh, like we mentioned, this game is coming out on Kickstarter. Be sure to look out for it. The Light in the Mist, a tarot puzzle tale. There's going to be all different types of different things that you can do to get an upgraded version. We even got to experience and try to figure out some of some things that weren't a part of the version of the game that that we played. <laughs> yep. But as we said, highly recommend this game. Don't miss out on your opportunity to pick this one up. This will be a game that we are all talking about for a long time. For us, you can always help us out on our puzzle tale as well. Things that you can do, one of the best things you can do is go to Spotify, go to Google, go to Apple, go to Stitcher. Leave us a five-star review if you're really enjoying the podcast. That helps us out a lot. Shoot us a like on Facebook or Instagram. All of those things will be super helpful. If you've got a Kickstarter game that is coming out, fits within the vein of what we talk about, and you would love for us to get an episode going for its release, that would be amazing. Yep. Hit us up at contact at puzzlingcompany.com and we can get those conversations started. Zach, anything in closing on this episode? I love this game. I'm, uh, I'm, it was fun. I, I had a great time thinking about it after we played it. had a good time playing it and uh, I'm excited to potentially see more of it. How dare you say this game was fun? This game was not fun. I, it was fun <laughs> in terms of, I mean, it, we, I think I had an actual good time playing it. I had a good time. I think emotionally well. it wasn't the most fun. <laughs> But I enjoyed it because of that. Do you know what we have coming up next week? No idea, but I'm going to take a guess. Take a guess. Okay. I'm going to try to think of keywords that would be used in most things. Fair. Do I have to escape this thing? You do have to escape this thing. Okay. Is there a box-like thing that the game comes in? This is correct. Okay, awesome. Is there a word the in it? More often than not. Okay, excellent. I think we're playing Escape the Crate, and we're going to be covering the speakeasy. And actually a couple episodes before that as well. We're going to be mixing it up a little bit, because many moons ago, we played some Escape the Crates before we ever played this. And I don't know if you remember them, but we're going to be revisiting some of those older boxes as well. Oh, no. <laughs> so get ready. That's going to be a really fun uh, episode to close out our month. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for listening. For Jared and Zach, this has been Puzzling Company. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. 